Welcome to TV Chinwag, where we take one part cheeky talk, two parts witty banter, and dump in a whole heaping spoonful of snark. It's TV Chinwag. Here are your hosts, Ryan and Jules. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 43 of TV Chinwag. My name is Ryan Curtis, and with me, as always, is a woman who's hosting an evening at Comic-Con, whom you should all attend and visit. And buy the open bar tickets because that's the best bang for your buck. It's Jules. Hey, Jules. Woohoo! Yes! I'm going to Comic Con and I'm throwing a party because, like, <laughs> I have to because that's what I do. I like to organize things where people get together and drink and have fun. <gasps> All right, so what is this party and why am I not? Um, because it's classy. It's called Carry On Wayward Cocktails. And I don't know if people are aware, but 10 years ago this July, little show on the WB called Supernatural aired its pilot at Comic-Con. and was Worst met- name for a show ever. Will never last. <laughs> well, it was. Oh, let's just say it wasn't met with uh, thunderous uh, reception. I, I know people watched it. It didn't get a huge amount of uh, coverage, I think, the, other than, uh, well, it's like Buffy but with dudes. Uh, <laughs> about, about all I've been able to track down from the coverage at the time. But, yeah, 10 years. Uh, it's uh, been back nearly every year. I think there was one year early on it missed at Comic-Con. Of course, graduated now to being one of the biggest uh, panels in Hall H. Uh, uh, with people sleeping out from the previous afternoon on concrete um, to get into Hall H. And um, I thought, well, it's amazing that no one's ever run an off-site uh, event, a, a cocktail party or anything for Supernatural because if nothing else I've learned over 10 years, that Supernatural fans like to get together and drink um, and have fun. <laughs> so true. we're having... Yes. Carry on Wayward Cocktails at the Analog Bar, which is in the middle of the Gas Lamp District. Uh, it's uh, very supernatural appropriate, as it, uh, its logo is a cassette tape. Uh, so there'll be lots of classic rock playing. Um, there's swag bags. You can get tickets of a number of different levels, including, as Ryan said, uh, the Hunter ticket for 65 bucks gets you uh, food and an open bar. So that's the one to go for. It's ridiculous, by the way. That is ridiculous. (laughs) I hope you know you're going to go broke offering that. (laughs) Quite possibly. Uh, It seems to be a very popular ticket. Uh, For $40, you can get the Kripke ticket, which gets you a swag bag and a couple of drinks tickets and uh, horses. Does Kripke have to pay for that if he's interested? Yes, if a ticket's named after you, you have to pay for that. Uh, you, you do have yes, to pay for it. Okay. If Eric Kripke is there, he has to buy a ticket. Uh, no, if okay. Eric Kripke would like to come, I'm putting that out this out in the world now. Eric, your name's on the door. It's okay. Right. <laughs> um, yes, uh, we should have a rule. If your name has been on the credits of Supernatural, you get in for free. Ooh, that means I can get in for yep, free. come along. Excellent. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a great night. Uh, it's on the Thursday night of Comic-Con. So Comic-Con starts with the preview night on the Wednesday night and then uh, the action really kicks off on the Thursday um, and we'll be uh, we're from 7.30 onwards on the Thursday night and then hopefully Jules uh, is still in a good state to um, get up for whatever panel I'll be queuing for at 7 o'clock the next morning. <laughs> 
Gross. Gross. Uh, yes, uh, sleep is for the week at Comic-Con, uh, which is why I have like a week uh, in LA afterwards, which will basically just be sleeping, I think. Um, but I'm very excited. It'll be lots of fun. I'm hoping some people from the show will be coming along and um, lots of the SPN family. So uh, be there. Uh, you can also buy the Tractor Angel ticket, which for $10 uh, will get you, if you're not actually going to be there, will get a postcard from me sent to you from San Diego. So you could buy one of those. Wow. Why don't you buy one of those? Yeah, I'll definitely get right on that. That Buy one of those, Ryan. You buy a a Tractor Angel ticket and I will send you a postcard. Tractor Angel (laughs) ticket. That's funny. Um, what about a, a, a bring back Rudy ticket? Is there such a thing as that? Uh, no, we haven't got that. We ran it. I had a lot of name for good names for tickets and not enough ticket levels. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think we we have Team Free Will is our top level ticket. That's our two hundred and fifty dollar uh-huh. ticket. Uh, Low Sodium Freaks is our vendor ticket. Then there's Hunters Kripke. We did have an early Kripke as well. And maybe if we come back next year, uh, we might have a gamble. And Carver tickets, but uh, we thought we'd honor the Kripke this year. Now, um, what is the top level ticket? What do I get for that? Um, basically everything. You get behind the velvet rope, so you get in the uh-huh. VIP area with seating and sh- gorgeous swag bags. We've had um, some wonderful donations from uh, a range of both fan and professional merchandise. Uh, you get open bar, you get food, uh, and a back massage from me. So you can't ask for more. Can I get that back massage as a front massage instead? May depend on who you are. So you you me? personally know. <laughs> I'll forget yeah. it then. But I'm putting my credit card back. Ten dollars, you get the postcard. Come on, I expect mm, to. S- it's not what I was looking for. <laughs> yeah, postcards <laughs> all you're ever going to get from me, Ryan Curtis. Right, righto. Um, <laughs> well, that sounds really fun. I, I think uh, anyone who's going to San Diego Comic Con, I mean, they would have to be mentally retarded to not want to go to that, right? Um. I, I'm not going to touch that. I'll move on. Um, I should say you don't need a Comic-Con ticket to come to the cocktail party. Um, well, I make myself laugh at least. If if you live in San Diego uh, or Southern California, you can come along to the cocktail party if you buy a ticket. So you don't need to be uh, going fun. to Comic-Con. It's an off-site event uh, with on-site fun. What can people expect when they attend? It's a cocktail party. There'll be cocktails and Well, what does that party. mean? What does that fucking mean? We will have supernatural-themed cocktails. Right. and um, good. And you'll get to hang out with other Supernatural fans. Well, that sounds really uh, fun, We actually. have lots of video screens, so we're going to be playing things like um, promotional uh, teaser um, teasers for the show from 10 years ago. So you'll get to a bit of history, because I love a bit of history. So old promo trailers for supernatural back in the day when they used to do them uh we actually had some award-winning promo trailers um the season yeah. two trailer with the johnny cash that actually won awards um and we'll probably play the english scary just got sexy uh, trailer which 
probably is uh, very well known and well loved, even though it totally misrepresents the show enti- yes, entirely. Yes. Um, so yeah, we'll have we'll have bits old and new, uh, and yeah, you'll get to hang out, and we will be celebrating Supernatural. Yeah, I want to be there. Okay. I don't know how I can work that out, but um, yeah, somehow I will be there. I think we can officially announce that right now. <laughs> okay, right. Um, <laughs> not really. Uh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Send a, car- um, send a cardboard do... cut out of yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, this will become a yearly occurrence. I'm sure of it already. Um, well, uh, let's let's see how we let's see how we go this year, but. Um... Uh, the way it's shaping up at the moment, uh, might be doing it again the following year. We'll see. Very cool. Excellent. What else do you have for news this week? Any other entertainment news? Um, well, last week we talked a bit about the last podcast, the shows that are finishing. Uh, of course, we are at that time of year when shows are coming back. New shows coming. A few shows coming back that I'm looking forward to. Uh, Halt and Catch Fire. Now, this is a series you and I um, reviewed last year when it first started, Mm -hmm. uh, which is set in the Mm early 80s at the beginning of the personal computer age. A show both you and I really enjoyed. Didn't get a lot of sort of attention. It's back for its second season. And and, um, I think next week, uh, I would definitely recommend people get onto it because it was very good. Yeah, you know, I really liked it. I, I don't remember if I ended up watching the season finale or not. I can't remember now how it ended. Uh, yeah, no, um, I, I, I so haven't. Because I did, I did enjoy it. I actually purposefully, she said, lying through her teeth, kept the last three episodes so I can watch those as we go into the, the next season so I could remember what was going on. Uh, um, another show cool. coming back, which I know you could care less, couldn't care less about, is Hannibal, um, which I'm terribly excited for. That starts back on uh, June the 4th and we'll start off with Hannibal and Bedalia, played by the gorgeous Gillian Anderson, um, on the run, in, well, on the run in style, I should say, from the clips I've seen in Europe. Um and I'm sure Hannibal will kill some people and eat them. Um, and what other else is coming back soon in early June is the second season of True Detective. Uh, be very interesting to see um, how that stacks up after the huge, um, uh, huge accolades that the first season of, of True Detective got. Of course, this is a totally new and different and separate story. Um, so yeah, it will be very uh, interesting to see what reception it gets. So new cast, of course, starring uh, Colin Farrell, Vince Vaughn, Rachel McAdams, and Taylor Kitsch. So some big names there, um, as well as a lot of other well-known people uh, in the cast. So that, are you looking forward to True Detective Two? Um, you know what? I'll wait and I'll wait to reserve judgment until I see the first episode. But you're looking forward to not it. really no but no not re- well I don't know I have some preconceived notions that I don't want to really um, expose at this Why? point because I would just be talking out of my ass and you know I don't want <laughs> as, to do as that. opposed to your normal bottom <laughs> talking um, I don't call another you show that's to, coming up to Curtis for nothing Jesus <laughs> <laughs> let's change the subject you know I don't like that name. Um, 
what do you think about the Evil Dead sequel, Ash versus Evil Dead, that's coming out on the Stars Network, starring Bruce Campbell, re- reprising his role of Ash? Damn you, stars! Ten Damn you, stars! You know I love you. You know I won't be able to resist looking at this, and I have absolutely no expectations of it. Yeah, none at all. None, none at, at all. all. Look, you know, it's a bit like watching a, a, you know, monkey ride a bicycle. It'll be interesting for about five minutes, and um, I, I don't expect it to be any good at all, to be honest. Wow, Sam Raimi's on board. Rod Talpert's on board. Nothing. No, oh, look, you know, we'll it, it, fantastic that they're all on board, and Bruce Campbell. Uh, it could still go mm-hmm. anyway, and you know. I think it's hard when something's coming off a base that's that was such a fluke, really. You know, uh, the second, um, and I'm talking the second Evil Dead movie here. You know, the fact that that became a cult classic. So, and I'm someone who actually did go and see the remake of the original Evil Dead movie last year or the year before. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I. If anyone can do something with it, it's those guys. But yeah, let's let's just wait and see. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but yes, don't don't have high hopes for it. I don't really care about it that much. Is that? I don't think I feel that's bad of me. I know Bruce Campbell's the bee's knees and everything, but. Yeah. You were supposed to love him. Didn't you know that? I actually did see him at Comic-Con in 2010 because he was in, and she's going to forget the name of it now, that spy series that was set in Miami. Mm, Yep. Yes. Reaching, reaching. within this and then Burn. Burn Notice. Burn Notice, Notice, which I really liked Burn Notice. Um. And Bruce Campbell played a retired CIA detective in that, and I, I liked his character. I will say I drifted away from Burn Notice in its last couple of seasons, but um, <laughs> enjoyed a lot of it, and, and Bruce Campbell was great in it. I saw him at Comic-Con, and they did one of the cleverest things I've seen with a panel. Um, they had uh, had it being hosted by one of the characters who was a more minor Character, uh, actors who was one of a more minor character on the series sort of moderated the panel and then they did sort of a, ha- a script to screen sort of panel for with the writers the director and the actors of sort of how they all the parts of getting the show on um and it worked fantastically of course most of the audience was just there to ooh and ah at bruce campbell who's like you know worked the room like an old vaudevillian um but it was definitely one of the more entertaining um panels that that i went to at comic-con that year um but yeah yeah whatever yeah, yeah. Sort of feel yeah. we've moved on. I, I mean, we get these things, and we talked last week about, you know, Netflix picking up a reboot of Full House. You know, every generation is going to sort of have these moments of trying to cling to the, their past, and, 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 you know, nostalgia will bring these things back for various reasons. You know, some, you know, we've seen that with so many movies like the, you know, Jurassic Park coming up, which, you know, stoked to see, but. You know, part of me thinks, really? oh, look, it'll be, it'll be what it is. It's got dinosaurs in it. But like, I'd rather see a new dinosaur movie than an old dinosaur movie. 
if you know what I mean. I like move on, like leave the past where it is, come up with a new idea for sure. this generation sure. or for yeah. the latter years of the generation you were. So now we're getting all the people who were in their 20s and the 80s trying to, you know, pathetically cling on to that by writing and making their own movies. Uh, get on, make something original, people. Um, the only exception to that, of course, is uh, George Miller uh, making another Mad Max movie, which turned out to be the best thing that you know could have happened to the movie <laughs> industry. So he's the exception that proves the rule. Uh, sometimes, right. sometimes you can go back, uh, and he did. Sometimes you can, if you do it right with the right people, the right tools, the right amount of time, you can do really fucking cool stuff. If you force your hand and go in and just throw money at it. You, What's the point? Yeah. And I would certainly say... To say you have money? Because that doesn't get anyone anywhere. Yeah. I haven't seen the new Jurassic Park. I'm going to go on a limb and say it sucks. <laughs> It'll I'm ha- going to say the CG is overblown and, and, and dumb and doesn't help anything or anyone. Um, I just tweeted a link a few weeks old by the time you hear this <laughs> to the so everyone- visual effects of, uh, of um, the Mad Max and just a few shots before and after. Yeah. And they're subtle. I yes. mean, we're talking adding mountains in the background, right? You know, we're talking, um, you know, putting a rocky crag over over top of a huge truck that's on fire driving. Yep. Those are very, I don't want to say simple, because I certainly don't want to diminish what they've done, because it's not simple, but it's not overblown. It's not a billion moving parts. Well, and what they... Which they, no one can calculate. Yeah, and what they did was they kept... A couple of there was a couple of big visual effects moments, but that wasn't what the whole movie was about. In fact, the whole movie was actually right. about people, which was a nice change. Um, but it's a magnificent looking movie. Like you, you could probably take out all the visual effects, and the cinematography is still amazing. Uh, yeah. It's not. Uh, it, it's not a blank screen without it. But you know, and I think that's. Um, it says a lot for George Miller that what he did was rather than try and remake one of the earlier Mad Max movies, he kept the kernel of his original idea uh, and from the original Mad Max, which not as many people have seen as, as two and three, which was Max is actually mad. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. this guy's mm-hmm. been mm-hmm. fucked up. And mm-hmm. how do you tell that story for 2015? What, and what mm-hmm. he ended up doing was telling a really like people are like, oh my god, this is why haven't we seen anything like this? Like in terms of its content and its action and a whole lot of stuff. And um, mm-hmm. so that sh- it, it's such a testament to him that he didn't just go, oh, how can I rehash Mad Max three or Mad Max two into a new movie? He's like, what what was Mad Max to me? You know, in 1980, what is Mad Max to me in 2015? I'm now 70. Yeah, he's yeah. You know, it's, he's saying that the, here was that character then. Where is he now? And and where is life now? Where is the world now? Yeah. You know, and 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 yeah. he's taken it. You know, there and and there's still an essence of the original Mad Max in 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 this movie right. and. Uh, it, it happened to be a really important movie to me because I was. It was made round where I live. The original Mad Max it was my first year at uni when it came out. It was huge. It was everywhere. It was us. It was, uh, you know, 
uh, mm-hmm. a really amazing movie made, I should say. I don't think there were any visual. <laughs> I think even the the uh, the the credits were probably um, done with Letraset on the original Mad Max. There were no visual effects. Well, probably, yeah. But, um, it was yeah. Um, amazing. So you can take something from the past and make something good out of it, but I think uh, there's far too much lazy people like this 30 years ago let's remake it because at least we'll get a nostalgia audience out of it uh very few of very few of the remakes find you know people say well i'm remaking it for a new audience like the evil dead remake but you're not because the new audience the audience in 2015 is not the audience of 1985 they've seen a million evil dead movies they're you know so remaking the original you're not making it for a new generation because the new generation's already right. seen a whole lot of other better movies. They've seen Insidious, so they've seen whatever right. you know the Saw trilogy. <laughs> or Evil Dead remake is just a waste of time. So um, there you go. Deep philosophical. So Mad Max, good. Go and see if you haven't seen Mad Max. Um, it is. It does live up to the hype. But don't go and see it if you don't like action movies or post-apocalyptic movies. Like I heard someone reviewing it going, well, I went to see it, but I don't like action movies and I didn't like it. Well, duh, it's not magic. It's but I don't like action movies very much either, and I, I thought it was great. I think it's... It, I hate car chase movies, okay. and it's one long car chase. I mean, there's there's really... It's like, it's like saying, ah, oh, I don't like art, so I'm not going to go to an art gallery, and then seeing a Picasso. Or or seeing it, you know, a Da Vinci. There's art, and then there's this, and I think this sure. is really, really yeah. bright uh, and and definitely worth it. And uh, for people who are interested in the sort of behind the scenes stuff, this movie has amazing color correction. So of all things to walk away <laughs> with, um, not the visuals or anything. It's for me. It was watching it, saying, "God, this color is amazing." Yeah. You know, how they adjusted these colors here and these colors there. And actually, part of that visual effects before and after is you can see the color correction. Mm. And it's uh, it's substantial and it's wonderful. Mm. It's really well done. Um, big shout out. I mean, you, you can just lose your... Like, I'd like, I look forward to actually watching the movie with no sound almost just to look at that. But also the, the, uh, the original soundtrack to it is stunning. Stunning, stunning, stunning. Mm. I've been, I've been, had that on high rotation. It's, it really mm. is one of those soundtracks that's just on its own is, is incredible and combined with the visuals really, again, you know, it's, and you are right, when you see something extraordinary, it's like, oh God, what's that dross I've been listening to, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll bring up, because I'm sure we'll talk about it a few more times before the end of the year, it's like with Star Wars, you know, the soundtrack to that is one of the most, you know, iconic pieces of music of the late 20th century. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you hear something like that and then you think of all the other movies you've seen where you wouldn't even remember what the soundtrack was. You don't always need to remember right. what the soundtrack was, but a lot of the time it's a waste of space. Um, and, you know, when you do hear something that just gets you uh, and and, and ma- takes you further into the movie. Um, mm-hmm. And the other thing with Mad Max is it, it assumes a level of intelligence in the audience. Is that... 
Like it assumes that you're going to be able to follow this movie without people telling you what's happening, and I really like that as well. <laughs> yeah. Like, it d- well, it kind of has to because it doesn't tell you no, what's happening but it, at all. It does, <laughs> and and this is where I think you know George Miller at seventy knows that people who play video games, who've been watching sci-fi and action movies and and on horror and all that for for all their life don't need you to spell out what's happened to civilization and why it looks like this and who the war boys are and and all that you can look at that and on some level you're just going to know what that is is representing you don't need to know the details you don't need uh, a you know you don't need rolling text on the screen to explain how we got to that point you can have a few images yeah. you can get there we don't need to know what Mad Max made Max mad. We don't need to right. know where Furiosa, what's been happening in her life for the last thirty years. Like you can just get, you can know about these characters from what they do, and um, I, I think that it, that was almost exciting too, because then you're like sitting up, paying attention, going, bring it. It makes you engage in the movie because you're not just sitting back being told what what's happening. Um, anyway, I loved it a lot. <laughs> I loved it a lot too. So let's move on Television. now to, uh, if we can, to our first show of that we're going to be talking about today, which is a show called The Last Man on Earth. Hello, God. So I just got back from traveling around the country looking for anyone. And it's not all bad. I can do whatever I want to. There are some drawbacks. The whole women situation is the craps. This Sunday, discover the last man on earth. It's funny, fresh, and ballsy. Jerry, you look like you lost a little weight. What are you, skipping carbs? Ambitious, inventive, and the most original comedy you've seen in years. Will Forte is the last man on earth premieres this sunday on fox so last man on earth uh which is a television series that was created by and stars will forte of uh, saturday night live is about a man in the year 2020 um named phil miller the entire earth has been wiped out by a deadly virus and the only person to survive uh, that we know about is phil miller and uh, he's searching for other survivors of the um, apocalypse, essentially, or the, you know, the plague. So he jumps in his RV and travels around the country looking for survivors. He goes all over the place, doesn't find anyone. So he comes back to live in Tucson, Arizona. Why you would live there, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, you know, there was something wrong with Malibu. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so he comes back and he lives in Tucson, Arizona, by himself, and that's how we join the character at the beginning of the season. Uh, very interesting idea for a show, don't you think, uh, Jules? Great potential, she said, using that word that should indicate to everyone that it doesn't live up to it. Uh, <laughs> Um, yes, great potential. In fact, I, I quite like most of the, 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 the pilot episode. I thought, you know, it sets it up well that he's travelled around, hasn't found everyone. He goes to Tucson, finds a, a mansion. He's got all these things he's collected along the way. He's, he's pillaged uh, museums and various other. He's got um, um, 
Oh, what's the Playboy guy's name? Oh, uh, Hugh Hefner. Hugh Hefner's pajamas. He's got all the, you know, he's got ten thousand dollar bottle of bottles of wine, you know, that he's picked up on his travels, and you know, he settles into this this house, and it's like, well, this is it, and he's left billboards around the country saying alive in Tucson in case he does you know there is another survivor out there and then he settles in you start to see his um his sort of da- uh, um, degradation then as as the reality of being the last man on earth actually sets in you know that first it's sort of a bit fun um uh, but now that he's actually thinks he's the only person alive and and he gets to the point he's actually about to kill himself when he finds there's another person alive and as the first few episodes go on turn out to be quite a few more people alive who join mm-hmm. him in this uh this uh, suburb he's living in in Tucson what did you think of the last man on earth well very good question <laughs> i you know i think i only watched the first four episodes three episodes um i liked it i you know i think it's cute it's fun um, the first person that uh, our character meets is Carol, who is played by Kristen Shaw, whom I like a lot. Yep. I think she's hilarious. Um, whom you might remember from um, uh, Flight of the Concords. Yep. She played their their fangirl, among many other things. Um, yes, yeah, she is the love interest, which who insists that uh, they get married before they have sex. Uh, and forces Phil to get married before they can, you know, start procreating and and repopulating the earth, which I think is pretty funny. Um, I I like the idea. I mean, it's it's a huge idea. It's a lot of fun. I think it it I think it was funny. The stuff that I watched was very funny. I really felt like it was leaning towards being more edgy than it was. Mm. Um. I feel like we missed out a lot on the, you know, toning it down for network television. Um, was it on NBC? No, it was on Fox. Uh, toning it down to be on Fox when it could quite easily have been a Stars or a Showtime or HBO kind of thing. Um, I, I, I mean, you know me, that's sort of the holy trinity, so I would have preferred to see <laughs> that sort of thing. <laughs> um, and I think it could, uh, it could have added to the storytelling. But that's just me. Um, well, I watched four episodes and I didn't really get much past that. Uh, it's it's good. It's funny. It's unique. It's different. I don't know. I didn't feel feel like I had to keep watching. I guess. Mm. How about you? Yeah, no, I hated it. Really? Yeah, All of well, it? look, as I said, I was quite intrigued in the first episode. I I, I liked the, you know this idea. But then I felt it just it just really fell into some really old sitcom cliches. You know, he finds he finds another person who turns out to be a woman who, of course, isn't as attractive as he'd like to be, uh, and she turns out to be a nag, and and you know she wants to follow rules in a world where there are no rules anymore. Um, and then, of course, uh, other people turn up, including uh, speaking of uh, Mad Men, as as I mentioned last week, uh, January Jones, uh, and of course. Uh, the lead character feels like, oh, damn, I've gone and got into some sort of fake marriage with Carol, and then the hottie turns up, and um, that sort of keeps happening, and Phil turns out to be a real asshole, basically, but he's meant to be the character that we like, uh, and he sort of 
gets the chance to sort of keep redeeming himself, if you like. But he's just really not a nice person. <laughs> and I felt that it fell fell back on, you know, it stopped. It stopped acknowledging that these were meant to be the last people on Earth and it turned into sort of they could have just been in a sitcom where they worked at the same place or lived in the same neighbourhood or a lot of that last person on Earth stuff, which I think has got a lot of potential for humour. I mean, even that that the, the conflict that they set up between Phil and Carol, you know, he's someone who's, you know... Hey, you can you you know you can fill a wading pool full of margarita mix and lie in it and drink it, and you can use your you know fish pond as a toilet, and you can steal from museums and do anything you like. And she's you've still got to stop at stop signs, and no, there, there's some really you know there's stuff you could look at there. Um, you know, having desperate people thrown together. Uh, apparently, only white people survive uh, this virus, except for Cleopatra Coleman, who's actually a Jamaican-Australian, but everyone else is very white, um, and the women... I mean, it just... The, the characters felt pretty slight. Um, I would have rather watched a good episode of Gilligan's Island, to be honest. If you're talking about people in this sort of extreme situation, you know, no power, you know, none of the normal luxuries of the 21st century Gilligan's Island did a lot better and got more humor out of you know coconut radios and things like that whereas this sort of as I said it felt like it wasn't getting the potential out of it being the last person on earth I watched the first four and then I skipped ahead to sort of 10 11 12 um and Phil Uh Phil was still being an asshole Carol ends up divorcing him um after he runs into um two other women who's uh, Cleopatra Coleman who plays Erica with the wonderful Mary Steenburgen um, mm-hmm. who, who they turn up and of course he wants to fuck them so he pretends that he's on his own and that he's not married and Carol doesn't exist and, and January Jones doesn't exist mm-hmm. and then they find out that he was lying and oh I don't know I didn't care and I didn't like him <laughs> and it was just like uh, the, again, right. potential here, but I just felt, and maybe you're right, maybe if it was on cable and they could have taken things to another extreme, but, it, but there felt something, it felt to me something very flawed in the, okay, not, I won't say flawed, I don't, I didn't care about the characters, I felt it was very, you know, it was almost like uh, uh, three and a half men after the apocalypse, mm. like in terms of its, you know, its its gender characterizations and how it sees that men and women interact, and um, I, you know, I found I found Phil such a horrible character. It was like, you know, I wouldn't care if you were the last man on earth. I would go and live somewhere else <laughs> or kill myself because I couldn't. Right, and I think that's the point, right? Like that's the joke. Uh, well, but that. But they keep making him out to be the empathetic character. Like he, he, he's. It would be one thing if he was made out to be the person you're not meant to have empathy with, and that you're meant to go, "Oh my God, he is so appalling." But he keeps having these moments. So I've just watched an episode where you know he does these appalling things, but then he gets to, you know, do something in in air quotes good and everyone's like oh Phil's not that bad and he gets to be the one that has a comedic scene of him talking to his um, 
he has all these balls that he's drawn faces of, like Tom Hanks in in Castaway, right. who is yeah. buddies, and that's quite a good running joke. But uh, you know, that's then used to you know to show the sort of reflective side of his character, which you know, the characters don't get to have, and Paul Carroll doesn't get to have because um, she's just a nag, and and you know makes him get married so they can have sex, and you know we're oh that <laughs> just really. Really annoyed me. Um, so yeah, no, not not a show for me. Um, I'm quite sure some people might find it funny and might find Phil mm-hmm. hilarious, but um, mm-hmm. I could see this working with with characters that yeah were actually I either cared about or I kept coming. I, I don't know why Gilligan's Island flashed into my head, but I thought they did have to live without all the trappings of, you know, uh, uh, of the modern world. They were these disparate characters thrown together, obviously stereotypes, um, but it was funny. (laughs) And sort of, of, uh, you know, all the characters had their flaws, but they also had their positive side and no one was an asshole. It's like I'm really depressed to think that, you know, the last man on earth could be someone like Phil Miller. Really, really wanted to kill myself. Um, I would just like, nah, humanity deserves to die. But then January Jones might turn up, Mary Steenburgen, so there is a positive side. But I'd want to go, okay, let's leave Phil behind. <laughs> right. <laughs> you think it'd be a better show without or Phil? Or kill him. That would be a funny yeah. if if wow. the last man on earth finally meets up with people and they decide he's such an asshole they kill him. That would be good. Right. Probably <laughs> seems harsh. <laughs> seems harsh. But true. But I think my um my tolerance for comedy starring asshole men is pretty low. Um Gotcha. So yeah. Not not gonna be watching any more of it. Uh I did want to jump ahead because I thought, you know, again, you don't know where these things are going to go. But when I jumped ahead to episodes 10 and 11 and it was still in the same place. Still the same thing, um, yeah. You know, it was the sort of, as I said, it was the sort of comedy that could have been set anywhere and it didn't make any use of it being post-apocalyptic. And um, I'm actually going to go and have a Gilligan's Island marathon to clear my head of it. You're just there for ginger, I know that. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, even if I even okay, if I well, was that, always when I was a kid and we played <laughs> Gilligan's Island, somehow I ended up I was always either the professor or the skipper. Anyway, <laughs> well, you did always hit people with your hat. That was <laughs> I still one do. Of the I things. still do. <laughs> Collaborating. I never with your got, hat. and I never got ginger. <laughs> no, you never saw that. That that was never an episode where the where um. Um, the skipper hooked up no. with Ginger. That was never a no. thing. No. I think she and the professor might have had a bit of, they had a bit of frizz on. Well, they would, wouldn't they? Yeah. yeah. So that, that... I mean, she'd have to be pretty desperate. <laughs> um, let's move on to our next show. <laughs> Very good. So that leaves that show in the dust. Let's move on to our next show, which is called... Happy-ish. I just think I'd be happier someplace else. It's not the pursuit of happiness that's our problem. It's our inability to accept when we have maxed out. Trust me, Tom, you couldn't possibly be happier. It's not you, honey. It's the Prozac. It's a hard-on killer. Try some Viagra. I'm worried that the Viagra will interfere with the Prozac. That's life. I'm either 
soft and happy or miserable and hard. Just for the record, I would be totally fine with miserable and hard. <laughs> Come here. What is happy-ish? Now, this was a show that wasn't on my radar at all. And I only saw it uh, quite recently posted somewhere. And uh, I saw that it was a Showtime show, which is mm -hmm. always good. And Catherine Hahn was in it, and she's great. And so I figured, let's take a look. And it also has... Um, Steve Coogan? Um, yes, Stephen Coogan. Whom I, I do enjoy. Um, people might know from... Oh God, he's an English yeah. actor. Alan Partridge in... Project was his his big, right. big Alan series Project, where he yeah. played a, which is sort of that mockumentary style thing where he played a television presenter. Um, uh, it was certainly very big in the UK, and uh, and that was where he was um, um, most known from. But he's popped up in in a number of other things. Um, I think he was in Little Britain for a while, and I think he's been in some. Uh, and he was in some of the, like, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz. Um, yeah, that sort of yeah. stuff. So he's, yeah. he certainly is stuff. a UK actor. I don't know um, I don't know that he's been in much that the US viewers would know. Yeah, I, I, I think many people would recognize him. Anyways, uh, it's about them as a couple whom, I don't know, personally I thought there was a couple decades difference between them. Um, who live together with their kid and are hard done by and trying to get through life being rich and white. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I actually, uh, <laughs> I had problems watching this. I only saw two episodes. I saw the second episode and the fifth episode. Okay. Um, so starting on the second episode, I at first thought, hey, this is, this is really great. This is a great show. It's funny. These are funny characters. And when I watched the fifth episode, I, I started thinking, I don't think this show knows exactly what it is. <laughs> I don't quite understand how these uh, rich, young people, Steve Coogan's being in his mid-50s, if not 49. later. 49, he is. Um, 49, is he 49? And Catherine uh, Hahn he is 41. Older. Yeah, really? you, you're uh, not, you're really, a whole generation you're between really them. not good at picking people's ages, are you? I guess not. <laughs> to me, to me, Catherine Hahn is... Early thirties, he's late fifties. No, well, so they're only eight years between them, so they're they're forty somethings. Okay, well, that's I mean that's not too bad. But anyways, I didn't buy them as a couple. Um, he's an ad executive that's trying to get through, struggling to get through uh, to be relevant in his older becoming age. But they're still young and still dealing with like parental issues. But then they're old enough that, you know, they're starting to worry about other stuff, but then they're young enough that they have a, a young, you know, what, six-year-old yeah. kid uh, dealing with that stuff, but then they're very rich and wealthy, but still dealing with being young and uh, having uh, financial issues, but then they're... <laughs> they are a like, bit of the, the couple for all demographics, aren't they? So they <laughs> Well, yeah, they're the couple of... Hey, here's a show that's written by a young person that's produced by old people. That's what I sort of got out of it. It was a, uh, hey, I'm a young up and coming showrunner. Here's a, here's a, a new script, and I'm just making this up by the seat of my pants. I don't really know anything, but this is my thoughts when I'm watching it. Uh, you know, I'm a young showrunner. I'm going to build this relationship between these people, and this is going to be them, and it's going to be really funny, and they're going to be very subversive and fuck you to the world. That gets handed off to producers who are like, no, let's make them. Uh, late 40s and make them 
you know, ad executives. And it just really seemed counterintuitive the whole way across. Seemed very unsure of who they are or where they are in the world. Jules, am I ringing any bells here yeah, for you? No, well, you actually are, Ryan. I think we might almost be on the same page with this one. Wow. Tell surprise. Um, <laughs> now, a bit of interesting history about this show, which um, I don't know how that will um, affect uh, your thoughts on it. It was actually, uh, I won't say a vehicle for, but um, Philip Seymour Hoffman was cast as the lead character mm -hmm. in it and filmed a pilot of it. And that's when it got picked up. And then unfortunately, of course, he died. So they recast with Steve Coogan. Um, so it's interesting to think, would it have, how it may have been different with him in the role. I certainly think... Um, that wouldn't have changed the the central concept, obviously, at all. Although I find I think he may have been a little bit easier to connect with. Steve Coogan's I find uh, not particularly endearing in the role. Is that the word? <laughs> um, and yes, I'm not quite as you said. I think uh, as you described all the the many things this couple are, uh, you know, the, they've got the six year old child, but they're later in life. They've still got they're still you know dealing with like um, uh, Catherine Hahn's character is still dealing with her her mother as if she's you know in her twenties or, or you know um, it, it's a bit all over the place with that. Now, the central part of it, obviously, uh, it, there's a lot about advertising in it. So Steve Coogan's character, Tom, works for this ad agency, which has been taken over uh, by a Swedish company who uh, have got all these, you know, different ideas about advertising, uh, which is you know, sort of where some of the, the humour comes from. I suppose I was aware that I was very coloured in my approach to this, having just come off seven years of Mad Men, um, which really yeah. dissected and looked at uh, the ad industry in an, a wonderful and, and complex way. Now, not to say there's not room for other shows to do that. Of course there is. And there's some moments in um, in Happyish which I think were really uh, were, were, were good. And like Mad Men, they mm -hmm. actually use real companies and ad campaigns mm -hmm. and that. Um mm -hmm. But one thing, yeah, some some really smart, some really smart writing. I, I don't want to take away from from that. I think that the the germ of this, the you know, the absolute seed of it, I think is really really good. I just think I think there were some production choices they took that don't necessarily gel. But that's just me. Um, yeah, and I suppose the 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 central conceit of the show is that. It's hard. To, it's hard to be happy, <laughs> if you like. And so they're they're struggling to be happy at work and at home. Um, I quite like the fact that their relationship's quite functional. That that was quite good, and they're quite good with their kid. Um, uh, there's some humour there uh, in, in a nice way, but it yeah, it's not quite clear whether it's a a family based sitcom. Is it a workplace sitcom? It also tries to do something that. Uh, another show that you and I both really liked did really successfully, and that's Man Seeking Woman, where they would often take metaphors or situations in the in the show and and make them real. So, lead character goes out on a date that his mum set up, and the woman turns out to be a troll in that she's an actual troll who lives under a bridge. Right. Um, you know, the jealousy of um, your girlfriend's ex 
is um, is brought to life by the fact that the girlfriend's ex is a Japanese penis monster. <laughs> Tanaka! Mm-hmm. Still funny. Um, and that works really well by taking these things, making them real and absurd. You know, when he finds out his ex is going out with someone he hates and that's Hitler and it actually is Hitler. Mm-hmm. Like they mm-hmm. worked so well and it takes it to abs- really absurdist levels and they're not just a moment. It plays the joke out to really absurd lengths. And, uh, and I thought that was really what made that show stood out. Now, Happyish tries to do that. Um, there's a thing, uh, a riff, and most of the, the episodes start with a bit of a monologue. And one of them starts, I don't know if you've seen this episode, uh, with Steve Coogan's character and his wife they're getting stoned in the car. And they're both sort of talking about how they feel like they were left on Earth 40 years ago by, um, you know, the mothership and, and, and the experiments failed and please will the mothership come and take them away and then they start playing this out through the episode by having the characters appear like you know big-eyed green aliens but that's it Mm -hmm. there's sort of and 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 a ufo appears at one point but it doesn't go anywhere it's disconnected from the rest of the narrative for that episode really uh and it ends with the scene of the family looking like aliens sitting around having dinner and so it doesn't it doesn't have payoff it's like oh they think they're they feel like aliens so we'll make them look like aliens but they don't go far enough with it it doesn't tie into the story enough um there's one of the good jokes that they set up and i think this is a sign of the good writing um is there's an episode where they're pitching and coincidentally this ties into the finale season uh season finale of series finale of mad men they're pitching to coca-cola and they're harking back to the real-life ad that was hugely successful in the early 70s for Coke and playing mm-hmm. with this idea that millennials don't – you can't sell happiness the same way to millennials. And the Steve Coogan character comes up with the idea that of radical happiness, that in fact in, a, in an era full of Ebola and ISIS and, and economic crisis and global warming, being happy is a radical act. It's actually an act of, of, of transgression and rebellion to be happy. And that's the, the, the basis mm-hmm. of his ad campaign. And then the Swedish guy comes in and he's all like, no, no one does ad, don't do ad campaigns anymore. You need events and you need to be an insurgent. You need to be, a, you know, a terrorist like Al-Qaeda and have events. And, of course, the Coca-Cola people are really appalled at this idea that, you know, they'd right. be seen as, as like a terrorist. That they'd want to be associated, yeah. yeah. And that's sort of funny because we all want the Swedish guy to fail. But then one of the other colleagues comes in and he's got a book that uh, was sort of Hitler's guide to running the Nazi party. And it's got all the the, the iconic uh, emblems they used and their uniforms. And he talks about how the, the Nazis, how brand development was central to their idea of world domination, <laughs> which right. is just, and you're waiting for the Coke execs to be appalled. But they turn around, they embrace this. They're like, yes, oh, world Jesus. domination. So that's your joke, and that's funny. But then they yeah, cut to yeah. a scene of Hitler directing a Coke ad. Uh-huh. And and yeah, it's like, yeah. but no, we've got the joke. You've played the, the joke yeah. was good. You've played that. Now having um, a minute and a half of Hitler directing a Coke ad and shooting some hippies because they're not singing and not looking happy enough, it's not working. It's like you've actually undercut your own joke here. Yes, exactly. Um, yes. Sorry, t- I, w- I went on a length face. there because it was actually a really good bit, 
which they yeah. actually ruined themselves. And that they steamrolled <laughs> over. Yeah. Um, something about that earlier too. One of the earlier episodes that I saw, five, I think it was, um, uh, Catherine Hahn character goes to the mall with her buddy. Um, and they're at the Best Buy looking at TVs. And the Best Buy guy comes out and her, her friend is, is saying, oh, I love this TV. It looks so great. And the guy says, oh, yeah, it's got, you know, six billion pixels and da 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 And Catherine's Hahn character is like, yeah, well, do you have any crack, too? And the guy's like, what? She's like, yeah, because maybe we need something to be more addictive to. And the guy's like, uh. It was like, uh, you know, I'm watching it going, like, what was the point of that? <laughs> I didn't understand if the point of that was to, for her to be an obnoxious weirdo or for her to be making a statement about television yes. or her to be making a statement about how people are addicted to their TVs that they're looking at in a store. It was yeah. really a weird situation. And it, it was just stuff like that. Like, like what are you trying to get to? Yeah. Like, it, it, if there's a message attached to it, what is that message? Because... To be honest, I'm I'm not catching it. I, I'm missing out on what you're saying here, and it doesn't make yes. a lot of sense. So, uh, some some weird stuff that I think there's overall there's an overarching theme of some really funny stuff, um, you know. And if you want to do the cut twos, that's great. But then don't milk your joke beforehand. Use your cut twos well, exactly. to deliver on your setup that you've done before. But don't deliver setup and then do a cut yeah. two because that yeah, like you're it's saying, basic comedy writing. You know, it's pretty. Right. And if there's anything that you and I know about, it's, it's com- comedy writing. Am I right? Timing. Uh, I think you mean timing. Timing. Yeah, it's um, it's a strange show, and there's bits I love in it. Like there's there's some pop culture stuff in there that that's good but as again i'll come back to i think what i said last week is it doesn't seem to know what it wants to be and it doesn't have and as you said its characters don't have a clear point of view either is it critiquing um is it critiquing advertising does the main character who works in advertising hate it does he love it Uh, he's again both the characters are i think she said problems of rich white people it's like you know what's what's your What's your issue, people? Like, yes, what yes, actually exactly. is? You're rich. You're white. You have a gorgeous house with a great kid, and you're in love. Where is the problem here? Conflict. Yeah. yeah. And if you're going to make it that, uh-huh. if it's going to be like they've got everything, but they're still just satisfied with life, well, make that of like let us know that that's their problem, and then you can yes. you can. Um, have them they don't have to have a problem that's the other thing they don't have to have a problem they can still be dealing with oh the other people but then the characters need to react that way whereas they just seem dissatisfied with everything even people who aren't horrible like even the good people in their life they seem um sort of dissatisfied with and that's um weird and they end up the main characters end up being annoying rather than because you're just like oh get over yourself yes yes <laughs> and it's not even to a point where you're annoyed with them that they're being so self-centered i mean that would be another thing if if the point of these characters were to be self-absorbed then you could hate them for being self-absorbed, but that doesn't even seem to be their purpose. No, because the show wants you to both uh, be empathetic with them and like them and, and somehow feel that 
you know, the world's against them, but it doesn't feel like the world really is against them. Like if the, you know, the worst problem Tom has at work one day is that the new, you know, the new guy bought him by the Swedish company takes the couch out of his office. Now, okay, a joke as old as sitcoms, that sort of one, you know, territorial office buddies, office, you know, tension. Um Nothing happens with it. You know, eventually he right. finds the couch in the other guy's office and spills a drink on it. I mean, really? Yeah. <laughs> 2015? Yeah. And that's what you've yeah. got? <laughs> I mean, and that could have been really funny, but it was like the foremost joke for a while. But, but. You know, if it had been the, 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 I just made up a word, ititerary, which I don't think is a word. Uh, But if it had been a joke that just came out of nowhere and just happened to be a tag on a much bigger problem, much bigger setup, or you make that, then it would work. Or you take, if you're going to do this thing of, 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 you know, making things literal, you have people pissing on the furniture to mark their territory or you have you know them getting into a dog fight over it or the couch comes to life or um or someone has a moment of self-realization that it's just a couch or steve coogan ends up getting mm-hmm. a couch from ikea and the swedish guy is jealous of that i don't know but right. it just yeah. seemed a really flat and old joke you know some of the some right. of, it's funny that there's a lot of pop culture savvy in this show and on the other hand there's a lot of jokes that feel like um, they found them lying around, you know, the office of a previous sitcom. Well, exactly. And that's exactly what I meant when I said that it feels like there's a a young uh, showrunner that's being paired with some really old and busted writer. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Right. So there's there's some new hotness there, and then there's some old and busted there. and. They need to sort that out right away because it, it's not working. Whatever it is, yeah, and there's um, certainly some you know, talent. Yeah, I, I the think the show can be. I think the show can be saved. Sorry, yeah. Jules. I think the show can be saved if they get a direction for their characters. We get a problem that we can solve with the characters. I.e., what is their problem? Are they, are they unhappy at work? Are they getting fired? Are they all these different things? Um, you know, seeing Catherine Hunt, I, who I think is amazing. Yes. By the way, yes. I, I, I love her and everything. Uh, the reason I watched the show was because of her. But give her a purpose. I mean, right now she wants to become an artist, so she rents uh, an art studio and and becomes an artist. Well, geez, it seems really easy for a rich white woman <laughs> in the suburbs of New York to do this in Woodstock, New York, right? Yes. Like, it doesn't seem like there's a problem. Give her a much bigger problem. Yeah. She's got art now. She needs to get it out there. That's That's the yeah. problem. Is she's yeah. trying to promote oh, she her becomes, art and be taken seriously? She becomes as an uber famous really easily and has to deal with that, or she doesn't, or she, sure. you know, right? She's got great stuff and it's being ripped off, or something other than I want to do art, so I'm going to take my husband's money who works for it and makes a lot of money and go rent something and then just do art. But I'm annoyed because I get to do art all day and have to pick my kid up at school. <laughs> I mean, and he's, her really husband comes television. home and he's like, hey, someone stole the couch out of my office. Oh, my God. Yeah. And we only made 300 grand this year. It sucks <laughs> being living in upstate New York and successful and white. It's... Anyways, I, I mean, I, I think there's so much potential wasted uh, in this program. It's ridiculous. And I think. Now, I just have to. I mean, what the hell do I know? But it seems to me like the writing needs well, to Well, I have to add in that. Um... Straightened out. The show creator, Shalama Slander, is credited as the only writer. I just... 
<laughs> I mean, I guess so. I mean, I guess. Um, now, we, who knows what happens behind the scenes, but um, I thought... So half of it's his writing and half of it's um, network notes. Yeah. <laughs> This is his first. This is his first show. I mean, he's an author. Yeah, yeah. He comes from a background in essays and novels, and obviously is extremely brilliant. But to me, there's something else oh, going yeah. on here. There's producers that are like, "Well, are we married to the couch? You know, could it be a, <laughs> could it be um, you know, a dog? Maybe you know, just stupid shit." Or, uh, you know, I, I like the scene with Catherine Hahn where she's fighting, bickering with the box, uh, yes. who's. Amazon logo becomes a mouth and her mother, her mother yes. sent her kid a, a gift. And there's a big, like to me, that's, that's Shalom. I bet you right there. A hundred percent. And, but the thing is that would be a good running gag, but it sort of goes nowhere. Yeah. So it would be good if say, you know, her mother appears as inanimate objects, at, but also there has to be something, some substance to that. So other than the fact that, you know, she, doesn't like her mother we don't have any there's no substance there there's no what is the conflict what is what well no but it was it was expository for the character yeah right? it's to set up her but character. that's what i mean is we could if we kept having that then it would go somewhere right. and other than it feels like it's a one-off you know so it, right. it's a one-off whereas you know maybe she gets a box delivered every week or from her mother and, and it talks to her or whatever but it just yeah, you're right. It feels feels a bit all over the place. Um, they do they do luckily have one black friend, um, who I have to mention. <laughs> have to mention Andre Royal. Yes, bubbles from yes. the wire. Look, that made me Which happy. I, I kept saying like, who is that guy? Oh. Who is that guy? And I actually had to look it up. And I was like, oh right, bubbles from the he's, wire. He's yeah. um look, Matt, I, I wish he got a lot more work because I think he's great. He has nothing to do in this other than. Have you seen his IMDb? It's huge. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> He's been in a lot of I know, stuff. but I want to see him have bigger roles in, in stuff. Uh-huh. Maybe that's just because... So do you like him in this? Well, he doesn't have much to do. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, he's fine. But he's memorable. But he's... I mean, we're talking about him. We're not talking about her. his wife who was in... Uh, what's her name? Oh, I'm so sorry. I forget her name. Um, but she was from uh, Third Watch. Didn't watch that. You remember? Yeah, I know the show. I didn't watch oh, it. Oh, really? No. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, no, she's wonderful. Um, and, and, and Ellen Barkin's in this. We should able. mention Ellen Barkin's in it. I didn't, I don't know that I saw her. She, where, she plays she? The, the woman from another ad agency. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I haven't seen oh, that okay. yet. Then. So she comes in later. But she, yeah. yeah. So, um, she, again, she could be greater, but she doesn't have a, you know, and there's, she does a funny bit about getting life advice off tote bags, you know. Um, uh, you know, she quotes something and, and Steve Coogan's character's like, wow, that's profound. And she's like, yeah, points, and it's off a Lululemon tote bag. Um, right. and, and so, the, again, there's some good stuff there. I don't know that any of the sort of commentary around, you know, finding life advice off a tote bag is particularly new in 2015, though. I think mm. I think that's... It, a little dated? You know, and that's what you expect on network sitcoms, that they're making jokes about things that the rest of us were making 10 years ago. And that's, again, why I, you know, I would expect this sort of show to be a little bit more cutting edge than that or a little bit more out there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Interestingly, given that um, the show we talked about last week, um, which I still can't remember the name of, Frankie and Grace, um, mm-hmm. it was interesting. That that's a, 
revolves around characters in their 70s that had more references and jokes about things like Twitter and Instagram that actually felt real and this is a show about mm. advertising and people of a generation and there's no hard, social media hardly comes into it at all and I think that's mm-hmm. for me that's starting to be a barometer of well the, I mean the episode that I saw they were they were literally saying that people that um, and this is the weird thing. The couple was getting down on people who read the newspaper <laughs> and read the news because that was just them feeding you information and how they were not connected on Twitter or social media or anything. And it was some weird stance they were taking on not reading the news and stuff. And it kept coming well, up. Again, that feels like something from 10 years ago. Not. Yeah, it was just. Yeah. Weird. It feels. Anyway, yeah. I'm sorry, it, but... it, it, and I think you hit it on the head. It feels like. Some new ideas that have been, you know, had an anchor uh, tied around them of some very old and very jaded and very cliched stuff that we don't need to see again. Um, and look, maybe we'll look back in, in a few years and, and Oslander will have gone on to make something that we really like because there is some good yeah. stuff in here. And um, uh, maybe maybe this is the show that, you know, maybe they should have dropped it after – Philip Seymour Hoffman died. Um, it's well, interesting now, to how, think. How would it have been with him? Well, know? who knows? I mean, who knows? Other than, you know, he's a very different actor than Steve Coogan. But I don't know that that would have I, made it. I in- think Steve Coogan brings the snark. Well, but Hoffman could be. But is snark enough? Yeah, is I don't think, right I don't think Hoffman would have, you know, a great actor's still not going to save bad writing. Hmm. But he might have he might have made me like that character more, I think. But who knows? And maybe who, who knows? knows? I don't. I really don't know. I like Steve Coogan. Um, I just don't have much uh, for this. Um, well, it's the, like the I like Catherine. Was mo- I like Catherine Hahn, but I, this role is just it's wasting really her like as Catherine well. Hahn. Um, her buddy's name was uh, or the actress's name is uh, Molly Price is her name. Oh, okay. Um, she was in the Nick actually. I don't know if you remember oh. her from the Nick. She played Effie Barrow in the Nick. Um, but she's been in everything: Shameless, um, Nip Tuck, Private Practice, Mentalist, Lie to Me. You know, you name it. She's been on it. She's uh, she's wonderful. <coughs> and Carrie Preston it was really funny in this as well, and she pre- plays a. Uh, Mid forties ad exec who dresses like a teenager, yes. which I thought was kind of a fun thing to point out. Actually, I, I like that. Like he looks at her, he's like, "What are you doing? Like, why are you dressing like a teenager? You're in your forties. And she's like, "Oh, go fuck yourself," kind of thing. <laughs> um, which I liked. I thought that was kind of clever, a clever thing to put out there. Did you like? Yeah. That? Look again. There's potential. Like I kept thinking, if this was an office sitcom there's potential there mm-hmm. in the characters in the office and i think advertising is still uh you know is, is obviously a rich area and that they could be you know and they mentioned how they were pitching to google and that you know there's there would be a lot of fun to have with all that sort of stuff but they don't and, and for, again they set up her character but it doesn't really go anywhere um there could be f- other fun to have with the family dynamics but it just, again, it feels unfocused. It feels like they've not quite worked out or what their point of view is. Are they critique? Is advertising bad or is it good? Uh, or is it... Does he does like he, his job? Does he hate yeah. it? Does is he, he any good it? at does... it or not? I still don't even know that after. Right. 
Yeah. Are they happy in their um, marriage? Or are they not happy in their marriage? Do they resent having they, kids or do they enjoy they it? Appear, they, they appear. A, a million things. They appear to like each other and their child. But right. that could be sort of us against the world stuff that, again, is not sort of, you know, we're, we're the sane ones in a crazy world. and um, But they don't, again, it's not taken to that extent. So uh, I, I think we'll, we'll. Does it feel does it feel like the writer took a few ideas and connected them with the script? Yeah, some of this almost feels like sketch comedy. And sitcom mm-hmm. had a baby. <laughs> yeah. Like there feels elements of this are sort of uh, because I don't feel we're getting a, a through line, and that makes it makes it sound like I'm not talking about a sitcom. But because these things are brought up, like the mother stuff and that, that then disappear again, or the or the coworker who dresses like a teenager, it feels like some of those are sketches, and they've got this sort of framework. It, it's almost like. Um, a really bad episode of Portlandia, <laughs> you know, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Where, but Portlandia's good. Um, so that's what some of it feels like to me, that they, they've sort of loosely tied some of these things together, but they're not – the sketches, in air quotes, the scenes aren't strong enough to stand without a proper narrative around them. Um, so, yeah, who knows? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, How does yeah, this exactly. stuff make it to the screen is probably the question. Yeah, How does someone not exactly. look at this and go, yeah, no. <laughs> nah, not working. Well, because the ingredients are there, yeah. it's just preparation. Right? I haven't heard if it's been renewed. Um, um, hopefully not. But no. um, I hope they can all go on and... So would you recommend this to anyone? No, not at all. What about Catherine Hahn fan? Look, I have to say of the and there was um, obviously I didn't really like last man standing either. <laughs> um, and we last week we were uh, we, we we sort of neither of us were thrilled with Lizzie Borden Chronicles. One thing I do like, mm-hmm. and that's what doing TV Chinwag has made me watch shows I normally wouldn't watch. And if you're an engaged right. TV watcher, it's often worth watching mm-hmm. a couple of episodes of these shows, if only to make you appreciate mm-hmm. the other shows that you love and that you hang shit on. You mm-hmm. think, oh, my God, that is friggin' art compared to this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I like it does make me think about what works and what doesn't work in television. And I think it's good to, you know, pop in and watch maybe the first episode or two and then pop pop into episode eight or nine to see if it changed or found its feet mm-hmm. or whatever. But I, I have to say I thought a lot about these shows and, and why they worked and didn't work and why I'd rather watch Gilligan's Island than The Last Man on Earth and, and why a mm-hmm. show like this that's got a lot of things I would like about it, advertising, pop culture commentary, great comic actors, uh, why it's not working and why people might have thought it would be working. So don't watch it because you're going to think it's fantastic. Um, if you've got other shows to watch, don't don't waste your time. But if you like any of these actors and if you're interested, particularly if you're interested in comedy writing, I think, which is hard, um, uh, this yeah. is a good example of how it can go off the rails despite all the ingredients being right. And I have to say... Um... To be honest, I think that there are some good things about this. Um, you know, I like that they're taking some chances. They're doing, they are doing something yep. different, regardless of the form, if the there form are some kernels that yep. are fallback. Yeah. Um, 
I wouldn't put it on the top of my list, but if you're really bored, I would say put it on and see what you think. Come up with your own opinion and share them. <laughs> Let us know what you think too. Maybe maybe we're totally off base here, but I don't think that um, that this writer is out to lunch. I just think yeah. that there's certain corrections that could be made in the course, and it could be it could have been very very funny. Yes. Uh, interesting. I'm just uh, reading a quote from Steve Coogan who said, uh, because the response to the show has been polarizing, which means um, most people didn't like yeah. it, uh, <laughs> the people who don't like it don't understand it, which, um, yeah, is a pretty, not a really good mm. criticism. I don't think there's anything yeah. about it I don't understand. I know exactly the sort of sarcastic, snarky uh, tone it's going for. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that's right. Now mm-hmm. he's saying it's got a British sensibility and that's why Americans don't get it. Well, we've got a Canadian and an Australian well, here, so that that doesn't... Yeah. <laughs> and and Shalom is not British, no. right? I think he's New York, isn't he? Sh- Shalom. Auslander. Auslander? Yeah. So, I'm quite sure he is. He sounds New York anyways. Um, that's me being... Anti-Semite, I suppose, no, but just um, yeah, no, there's absolutely nothing <laughs> British about it, right? Um, yeah, I'd be, you'd be reaching. Except for Steve Coogan, who's being an American. Is he? Has he got an English accent in this? I think. Yeah, Shalom Osterlander grew up in New York, yeah, yeah. so go fuck yourself, Steve Coogan. You're on the list now, buddy. <laughs> Um, but look, you know, we'll, I'll be Pollyanna for a moment and agree with Ryan in that it is good to see, like we saw with Man Seeking Woman, which I think did it successfully, uh, and comparing that to both this show and Last Man on Earth, Man Seeking Woman was a show that I thought was going to be have pretty tired gender stereotypes mm-hmm. and these mm-hmm. stupid, mm-hmm. you know, sort of making making the metaphoric literal, uh, but it worked mm-hmm. and it didn't, it, it did stuff well. differently. The lead character is a loser and is quite obviously tagged as a loser. Um, right. he, he's, you know... But still lovable. Uh, yeah, he's 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 still someone you can connect with. He's not a total asshole, but he is a loser right. um, and that's... That's quite clear, but also in a comedic sense. Um, uh, mm-hmm. And the, you know, the, the the bits where, you know, he ends up, oh, what was the bit with the devil and the ants in his ass? I can't even remember that. Was it a wedding? Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll just go back to Tanaka. Mm-hmm. They worked really mm-hmm. well, and, and they worked well because it, they took that risk to go, we're going absurd and we're going to the end of the mm-hmm. line with it. We're not just going to go, right. oh, here's a little bit of sketch comedy in your in your sitcom. We're taking mm-hmm. we're taking this to not only its logical end, its illogical end. Um, and again, it right. makes me think what an amazing show Man Seeking Woman is when you look at Last yes. Man on Earth and Happy-ish, examples of mm-hmm. that sort of attempt that didn't work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um Yes, I think with a few course corrections here, this could be a great show. It just needs to find out its identity. And you know what? If it gets renewed, maybe maybe they take that time and find out its identity. Because I don't mind Steve Coogan and Catherine Hahn's characters to being rich, middle-aged, up-and-coming New Yorkers, but give them give them a battle to fight. And I don't feel that here. Yeah, so I... I think if they define the battle, uh, that we would be behind them. Yeah. Uh, it'd take me a bit to get back into it. Uh, you know, it's sort of rather they all go and do their next thing. 
What if they made J- Jane Lynch the boss? Would you be in then? <laughs> well, again, it depends. There's great actors in this. It, it, it's not who the actors are; it's the writing. Yeah. It's the 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 central con. It's the concept or the lack of co- clear concept around it. So, um, they can bring in you know anyone they like. But I really, you know, I I. Th- yeah, my feeling would be to move on. <laughs> I think Oslander, I think you've got ta- you know there's talent there, but move on to the next project. You know, I think. Uh, mm, I say uh, course correction if you get a, ch- a chance hard, for a second hard, season. Hard, hard, hard to course correct if there's you know internal organisational reasons. It's been like this in the first season. It'd be. I can't see that changing overnight. But you never know. Television. It's a yeah. funny thing. It is, and uh, I, I'll i be honest, I'll watch anything with Catherine Hahn in it. Why can't she star? Why can't we have Last Woman on Earth starring her fucking all over that? <laughs> that would be hilarious. See, she would be great because she, she's got yeah. all that that you that the character of Phil in Last Man on Earth, she could do that sort of thing and not be a total asshole about it. It would be different because it's a woman, uh-huh. um, and she's hilarious. Um, I guess I have to also say that she can um, hit on January Jones. I'm all over that too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that'd be last fine. lesbian yeah. on Earth. I'm uh, all over that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he doesn't really have the same sort of meaning to it, Jules. I don't know if you know how the, how that worked, but um, well, I don't know how. If you know how it works, if you've got one man and one one woman, it doesn't matter if you procreate. You're pretty fucked as far as your gene pool goes, because then your kid, then nah. your kids are going to have to fuck each other, and whoa, yeah, it's all fine. <laughs> Um. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> well, it worked with with um, Noah, obviously. <laughs> All right, that's enough. Let's let's stop before we. I, I just want to say, um, I said last week that there was no good uh, Canadian shows that were shot out east. I guess you, I have to take that. You did back. give a bit of love to Haven. Haven, and then the other one was the um, Last Man on Earth. No, uh, Man Seeking Woman, sorry. Well, I'd like to throw in Orphan Black, personally. Uh, yeah, Orphan, Orphan Black. I'll give you Orphan Black. Thank you. Okay, Jules, thank you so much for showing up again, doing your homework, and um, and well, running the show both over watched- here. Um, I, I think we need to start watching better shows. What do you think? Well, we've, there is new stuff coming up, uh, so we'll have to try and find some of it. But all the new series will be starting over the next few months, so... Um- uh, we'll have to start making a new spreadsheet, I think, Ryan. Uh, once Absolutely. once you're back from swanning your way around the world, and I've stopped drinking cocktails in San Diego, we will be regrouping. Uh, Ryan, Ooh, Ryan, in Vancouver, in maybe. Vancouver. Ryan may report back. Uh, we may even get to do a live uh, live from Scotland show. Oh, you never know. Fun. Or a live from San Diego yes, Comic Con. Yes, you show. never know what um, what you may see on television while you're over there. And um, I will yeah. certainly be reporting back or recording things anyway in San Diego, even if it's me alone and drunk at a bar talking about who I didn't meet that day. <laughs> that would be great. Or just you trying to pick up strange women. That'd be great. As well. <laughs> oh, I've got a lot of. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jules. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk again soon on the TV Chinwine. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please consider giving us a review on iTunes. Send mail to fans at tvchinwag.com or follow on Twitter at tvchinwag. Music for this podcast provided by YouTube Music. For Ryan, Jules, and myself, thanks for listening to TV Chinwag.